Good morning. This is Ed of Ed's Bookshelf. Glad you're with me this morning. This morning we're going to complete No Sad Song in My House. I hope you've been enjoying it. The splattering of blood drops dotted her left arm with the rubber tubing tied loosely around it. He stood for what seemed an eternity before his blood-curdling scream and cry raced from his twisted lips. <sighs> Quickly, he knelt beside her. He slowly put his left hand under her head to turn it towards him. He couldn't stop his body from shaking, especially his hands. If he could only just stop his hands from shaking. His forehead was covered with moisture, his throat dry. May, he stammered out her name. May, please may, say something, he cried out. His voice sounded as if he had power in it. Tears which were a stranger to him, were streaming down his face. He slowly, as if not to awaken her, untied the rubber tubing from her arm, looked at it, and hurled it across the room against the wall. It made no sound as it bounced back and fell to the floor. Taking his handkerchief, he wiped the spotted blood from her arm. She lay there still. He could sense no life in her. He had heard that you could hear the air move in and out of a person's nose if you put your ear close to that nose, especially if they were unconscious. With his head toward her mouth and nose, he listened for some time for some sound that would tell him that his love, his sister, was alive. He heard nothing. He could only caress her face slowly and cry. She is so beautiful, he said. My May, why, why? I loved you so much. My life for yours, May, you knew that. His face suddenly lost its color. All the years of being with his beloved May ended with this poison now flowing through her body. It was then that he knew what he must do. There would be no life without May. He had loved her so much in life. Why not continue in death? Never to see her smile again, joke with him, fix his coffee, tease him in her own way. Love him. The thoughts, not the reality that it was so, confirmed for him this truth. He stood, went to the bathroom. His movements were slow and deliberate. Taking a face towel from the rack, he put it under the cold running water. He looked at himself in the mirror. The water felt good. His eyes were reddened face pale, pale even for an albino. 
Going back into May's room, he slowly wiped her face while caressing her cheeks with the back of his hand. With his other hand, he arranged her hair like she used to do to Carol's. After placing a blue sheet over her body up to her neck, he stood and looked at her for some time without saying a word. What could he say? Turning the light out, he went to his bedroom. Under his bed was an old shoebox. Taking off the lid, he stared at the cold, beautiful steel thirty-eight pistol. Robert Sr. had brought it home years ago. He was warned by his father, never touch this gun, son, never touch it. It can hurt somebody. It would. He picked up the pistol and put it into his belt. Going to his clothes closet, he took out May's favorite sweater she had once given him. Big brother, this is my keep warm gift to you. And don't you never say I never gave you anything close to me. She had told him some time ago when he had come in from the bitter cold with no coat on one night. This is a woman's sweater. I don't want this, he replied. She had pulled it over his head and had said to him, You're right, it is. Your woman's sweater. Kissed his cheek and went to make some coffee. He looked at the sweater for a long time. It was a big, bulky green sweater with stringy fibers covering it. He kissed it and allowed the savor of its past owner to intoxicate his senses. Putting it on, he allowed it to cover the handle of the cold steel pistol. As he left the room, he glanced back at May's room. Maybe she's awake, he thought. Maybe I should go back and... He sighed. Slick was at home, sitting at his dinner table. He was cursing Miss Cat, his woman. Hurry up, woman. You know I don't like cold fish. He hollered louder at her to speed her return from the kitchen. Baby, you just wait. I'm coming. She called from the back kitchen of the apartment. Slick heard a soft knock on his door. The mind sometimes can be friend or foe. Slick had lived with his on the dangerous streets of St. Louis for years. He had counted on his mind to help him stay a step ahead of all others. He had listened to it. Come in, it's open, he called out. Robert Jr. came in slowly. He removed his hat out of respect for another man's home. Yeah, what is it? Slick asked. There was a quietness that passed between them, which they both understood in a moment. Robert Jr. pulled a pistol from his belt and pointed it at Slick. The gun shook as it, if it feared Slick. Robert Jr. did. Years, cunningness, and nerves were on Slick's side. He had had guns pointed at him before.
This wasn't new to him. You're a chump, Slick said slowly. The room turned icy. You stand right there and wait till I finish eating. And then, when I'm through, I'm going to kill you. His voice was calm and assured. Slick picked up his fork, stuck it into the cold fish. As he brought the meat to his mouth, he looked at Robert Jr. and said, and then May and I will have what you wish you could. He had wanted to finish his sentence, but the 38 bullet tore through his cold fish and opened mouth. His head snapped back furiously and hit the back of his chair. The sound echoed throughout the room. Slick's body went limp. There is an amazing quality about life. It wants to always continue past its time. Slick, by force of will, stood. A gaping hole in his mouth with blood racing out covering his neatly starched shirt and chair, would suggest death. Slick, with evil force, tried to raise his hand with the dinner knife in it and with one last act of defiance throw the knife at Robert Jr. He fell forward onto his dinner table, dead. Robert Jr., shaking violently, stood looking at the body of the man he hated, Twitch, the man he had just killed, lying across the dinner table, bleeding into his last meal. Miss Cat appeared in the doorway of the dining room. Her face froze in shock. She looked at Slick lying across the table. She looked at Robert Jr. slowly. She walked quietly over to the body of her man. Quietly, she reached her hands out to lay them ever so slowly onto the shoulders of Slick, as if to wake him from his sleep of death. What he did to May was wrong, to keep giving her that stuff, her words barely audible. But I loved him, Robert Jr., I loved him still like you love Maybelline, she said. If not you, someone else would have done it. But you were wrong to do this in my house, at my table. You were wrong for that, Robert Jr., she said, looking at him with tears fighting their way down her cheeks, covering the heavy makeup she always wore. Robert Jr. turned, hurried out of the door, and ran across the courtyard to his apartment. The lonely old lady who lived alone in the courtyard also had opened her door and called to him. What's that noise? Did you hear it, Robert Jr.? Knowing that in a few minutes the entire courtyard would know what had happened, he knew also that the police would be coming for him shortly. After entering his apartment, he sat down to stop shaking and to breathe more slowly. After a while, he stood, moved effortlessly to May's room. 
She was lying there as he had left her. He knew now that his wish would never come true. Sitting on the side of her bed, he took her hand. Slowly, he put it to his lips, kissed her fingers, and replaced her hand on the bed. Going to the record stack, he picked out the record that he and May loved to sing together. It was the original version of Arthur Prysock's Stella by Starlight. Moving as if in a trance to the record player, he put the record on the turntable. He gave it a slow spin, put the needle arm down on it and listened. The song was a beautiful blend of baritone voice and of melodic sway. Turning himself sideways, he looked at May and whispered to her, I never left you alone in life. I won't do it in death. With the same gun he had shot Slick with, he raised his arm and placed a steel warm barrel against his temple. The impact of the bullet going into the left side of his head pushed him across May's body to protect her even in death. His weight fell on her stomach. His eyes were open, for sometimes after death, the nerve sometimes continues to send messages to the other dying limbs as if to warn them of what's to come. His fingers twitch. So did May's. With his eyes open, he never saw her May moving. He never saw May's fingers moving. He couldn't. He was dead. And what has death to do with life? The policeman trudged through the cake snow. It seems like I've been here to this house before, he thought as he knocked at the apartment door. Carol had been released from the hospital earlier that morning. After so much time away, she had longed to return home to her family. She arrived to an empty home. She wondered where Robert Jr. and Maybelline weren't there to greet her. Hearing the knocking at the door, she thought those kids are always playing games. As she opened the door, she started trembling. The feeling of dread flooded her soul. She thought, no, no, fight this. The policeman looked at this pale woman. For some reason, the past years rushed to his mind. He remembered her. He was in the military years ago and had come to this home to bring the sad news about her husband's death. Here he stood again in another uniform, with more bad news. Before he could utter a sound, he watched her frail body began to crumble in a heap before him to the floor. He fell against the doorpost on his right shoulder. He felt the tears well up in her eyes as he watched the trembling lost woman succumb to grief again, and he could do nothing. In his job, he has faced hardened criminals, 
thieves, bank robbers, murderers. They all expected the outcome of their lives. Of course, because they had chosen it. This woman, he thought, what had she ever done to deserve this much pain? He remembered years ago during his first visit to this house and the awful crying anguish of this woman when she learned of the death of her husband. His stomach tightened. His hand grew wet with perspiration. The pain was too much for both of them. How could he live with himself with what he must now tell her about her children? He knew also that after this, he could never remain on this job again. He tried to explain what had happened. She could not or would not hear him. She was crying and in unbelievable pain. Her life meant nothing. She couldn't continue. Her mind raced, her heart raced. Her nerves outran them both. She knew her heart would burst. The tall man in the uniform bent over her slowly. Through her pain, she saw the small bulge under his pants leg. She tried to reach for the bulge, but his hand stopped her. Please, please, I can't go on. I can't go on. Her words stabbed him in his heart. You tried to help me. Help me now. Help me now. Look at me. What do I have? Her head hung down and she cried with a pain that he couldn't stop. Through her pain, she watched him remove effortlessly a small gray-handled gun from a strap and tied it to his right leg. Their eyes met. He saw the pain in her face. He had seen it many times before in others, but not like this. He also saw in her pain a need to find peace. He recognized the need for peace. A half-attempted look of understanding tried to cross his face. He nodded to her as if their minds were twin thoughts. He then unbuckled it and laid the gun by her side, stood slowly, and made the sign of the cross at his chest. Funny, though, he wasn't Christian, he thought to himself. He simply thought it was the right thing to do. He then turned, opened the door, and stood on the top step. Slowly, he started down the path from her door when the sound he wished might never come came. He never stopped walking. He never returned to his job. He was never seen in town again. Carol, trembling, had picked up the small gun. It was cold, she thought lifeless. She recognized the feeling. It didn't require strength to pull the trigger. The grief gave her the strength she needed. 
She put the gun to the side of her head and, like a lady, straightened her hair and quickly pulled the trigger. The sound was the last she heard. She and the gun had become one, cold and lifeless. They both fell to the floor at the same time. Soon the noise of the gunshot died out and the room was quiet again. The bullet had passed through her head, exited, and lodged in a wall. The impact of it hitting the wall had broken a glass frame and stopped in the word home of the often quoted dream of many wretched souls. Home, sweet home. Yet the glass was shattered, the frame was bent, the pieces never to be replaced. The end. I hope you've enjoyed No Sad Song in My House. If you have, let me know. Until next time, this is Ed of the bookshelf.